Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. numbers i'm your host ryan blackburn at nba blackburn on twitter it is monday night as we are on an off day in between game two and game three of the nuggets and los angeles lakers western conference finals playoff series the lakers are up 2-0 the nuggets were one shot away from making this a tied series at 1-1 but they've come back from down two games in a series before so it's not like there's any room for panic or is there or is there that's a that's going to be the ultimate question for this episode of nuggets numbers because going to go through three segments going to go through what went wrong in games one and two then what went right in games one and two in the second segment and then i'm going to talk about some adjustments that i want the i want to see the nuggets make in game three that i think are relatively easy adjustments that shouldn't require that much um, we're going we're gonna to have to see how this goes because this is a series that the Nuggets are always going to be at a disadvantage in, to be clear. But they can certainly take a couple of games off of this Lakers team. We've seen them rise to the challenge and do it before. Yesterday was a 50-50 game that they lost. Usually they win 50-50 games. So if they can get it to 50-50, then they're in a good spot. I think there are also some scenarios where they get it to past 50-50 and they they could actually win a game by double digits here or there. Um, We're going to see if they can get to it, though, but it is a must-win Game 3 on Tuesday night. Let's talk about first what went wrong in Games 1 and 2. I'm going to do this breakdown player by player. I think it's important to discuss it in those terms because... So much of the microscope is on so many of these different players and all of these different pieces that I think it's important to discuss them one by one. Start with Nikola Jokic. The one thing that I really think is going to change going forward is, and that went wrong in games one and two is that he just hasn't had as much success against JaVale McGee as he probably needs to. Went three of nine from the field, attempted zero threes, had just one assist, has had a couple turnovers. He's made some shots... But a lot, of the, a lot of the shots that he's missed in this matchup have been relatively easy ones. They're ones that we as Nuggets fans understand. Jokic makes those shots consistently. They're the floaters, especially when he gets a bunch of space on a post-up. Uh, they're the uh, drives after a pump fake that he, he gets into a consistent rhythm. Um, and then there are some. There were. There was an open jumper that he missed that was against uh, Javale McGee that he probably is going to make. And so, I think he's going to be a lot better in Game Three, especially against Javale. I'm actually going to go ahead and predict that he's going to have a really big first quarter in that game, something like 12, 15 points, uh, three to four assists. Think he's going to really dominate in that quarter. Uh, But we're going to see because so much of this is about consistency and so much of the playoffs is about taking advantage of the matchups when they present themselves. The Lakers, 
If they're going to start JaVale McGee, that is the weak link on that team. He absolutely has to get going against JaVale because the other options are going up against Anthony Davis at the five, which he has shown that he can do, or going up against Dwight Howard, which he's gotten a lot better at as the series has gone along. But his shots have to come and they have to be made against Dwight Howard, or against JaVale McGee, in my opinion. Another thing he's that's really gone wrong in this series is defending Anthony Davis on an island. Davis is 9 of 15, according to NBA's matchup data, against Nikola Jokic. And I feel like a couple of those shots, probably more than a couple, have come while Jokic is kind of on an island one-on-one. And it's, it's tough some situations to double, but there are definitely other situations where the Nuggets can double from the baseline, where they can double from the weak side. I don't think Davis is a good enough passer to make them pay for it, especially when he doesn't see the double coming. So it, it can still be irregular, but instead of just giving him constant one-on-one looks, I think you probably want to throw an occasional double in there to try and generate a turnover. Or maybe he does a turnaround mid-range jumper away from the double, in which case you've already won. That's, that's a win for the offense in that case. Jokic was also bad against Alex Caruso and Rajon Rondo when switched onto him in Game 1. There was also a, a mishap in Game 2 where Rondo poked free a steal while Jokic was in the post. That can never happen. Uh, there was also a possession against Caruso in Game 2 where he spun baseline a little bit too far. Caruso pushed him off his spot, and the shot that Jokic threw up there kind of hit the bottom of the rim or hit bottom of the backboard, one of the two. That just can't happen when you're in that position if you're Jokic. You have to capitalize on each of those opportunities as much as possible. Let's move to Jamal Murray. He has had some jump shots go in and out in this series, especially threes. Uh, Just has to convert those at a better rate. I mean... The Nuggets aren't going to win this series if Jamal Murray's hitting two of nine from three. He knows that. He knows that he can do better than that. There's no no question there. Uh, but he also had to chuck up some end-of-quarter shots, some late shot clock shots. Like, there was a 30-footer that he had to take with when there were three seconds left on the shot clock and the Nuggets were inbounding the ball, and it got tipped. So he's not going to make that. but Or he can, but it's it's kind of tough. And it's, it's a chuck. Um, the percentages, they definitely look worse than they actually are. Um, he also has to be a little bit more careful on turnovers because there are some passes that can get a little bit wild at times, though he's largely kept that a non-issue throughout these playoffs. Uh, that's been a really good thing about playoff Jamal Murray is that he gets a lot cleaner in terms of some of the looks that he gives his teammates. Um, but... Each possession matters against a team like the Lakers, and just maximizing that on a consistent basis, it's so important. Paul Millsap now. Uh, Millsap has been good defending Anthony Davis for the most part, uh, but on the offensive end, it hasn't been good. When Millsap is being guarded by Anthony Davis, uh, that's not the time to really go looking for offense. Millsap's 0 of 3 versus AD thus far. He's 1 of 2 versus Kyle Kuzma. I would be perfectly fine with him going at Kyle Kuzma or other switches against the the Lakers' defense. There are definitely opportunities for him to do that uh, because the Lakers have liked to switch. Definitely not a bad time to go at some of those mismatches, I think. Um, Of course, he, he probably has to keep limiting his overall usage because it's more important that Jokic and Murray get most of these shots. But... 
it's a fine line that he walks, and, and he's done a reasonable job for most of the series, uh, for most of these playoffs. Um, he just needs to finish at a higher rate because the shots that he's attempting really haven't gone in as much as they need to. When he's attempting threes, he's been pretty good in that area. Uh, shots inside the arc are, are the problem uh, for the most part because he just doesn't get as much lift against these uh, twin tower lineups as he needs to. Uh, when AD is at the four, Dwight Howard, JaVale McGee at the five, it's it's tough sledding. And, and trying to attack that offensively uh, by going at the rim is not great. I feel like you have to be a perimeter-oriented team against that Lakers front lineup and then work your way in when they decide to go with one big. Uh, that's just how you have to play it. Not enough teams are able to do that, and with the Lakers, they like to switch in order to prevent that, especially against this Nuggets team. Uh, still think that, that that probably needs to be a thing, and when Paul Millsap has that opportunity to go for three as opposed to driving and going for two, uh, taking the three is probably the best option for sure because he has been good on threes in these playoffs. Let me just look at it to be clear just in case. Um Pull this up. Yeah, he's still shooting 38% from three in the playoffs. And if you can get that consistently, if he goes uh, on average two of five in every playoff game, that's a really good option for the Nuggets uh, because right now they're not generating enough offense when he's on the floor and when one other player is on the floor. We'll talk about him in just a bit. Jeremy Grant also has to be hitting those wide open threes when they're there. Uh, they won't be that frequent, and they haven't been that frequent, but they are massive when he hits them. Uh, there are a lot of times when LeBron James is guarding him where LeBron doesn't like keep full track of him on the perimeter. He likes to get caught up a little bit, especially when another player like Jokic is, is in the post, is doing his thing. Uh, LeBron's eyes can be drawn to, a, to the action and away from what Jeremy Grant is doing. So when Jeremy Grant has LeBron on him, he's going to have opportunities to hit threes. He's down to 33% from three in these playoffs. That needs to go up. That needs to be higher. Um, it should probably get back to 40% if the Nuggets are going to have a chance in this series. But he's got to hit two of five. He's got to hit... Uh, two of four. He's got to hit three of six in in that general area because he's going to get opportunities going forward. If he can't convert on them, then the Nuggets are going to have to find somebody else who can. It's that simple. Last one before we go to break. Gary Harris. Um, I didn't really want to talk about the bench that much in this section because I actually think the bench has been pretty good. Uh, Monte Morris has had some struggles, but it's he's been mostly good. Gary Harris, though, the Nuggets have an 87.6 offensive rating in these conference finals with Gary Harris on the floor. Let's check that really quick with him off the floor. Um, actually, no, let's not. It, it, it kind of says it for itself. 87.6 is really bad. Um, and this may, ju- this may just not be a Gary Harris series, and that's really too bad because he's had some great moments against the Clippers, against the Jazz, Uh, When he's out there against those teams, there's somebody for him to guard, whether it was Paul George, whether it was Lou Williams with the Clippers, whether it was Kawhi Leonard even. Uh, On the Jazz, it was Donovan Mitchell, 
Mike Conley, Jordan Clarkson, all of those guys he was giving problems to on a consistent basis. In this series, there's nobody really for him to guard. It's like Cantavius Caldwell-Pope and Danny Green and Rondo on occasion, Caruso, guys like that. LeBron's just too big for him. And the difference between LeBron and Kawhi Leonard is, is just a little bit in size that it, it, it makes a difference. Um, in addition to that, Harris just isn't getting it done offensively because the Nuggets need somebody badly at that position who can either hit threes or put a ton of pressure on the defense at the rim. And Harris really hasn't done much of either. Two of seven from three in both games, one of six from two, and that only make was a 15-foot pull-up from the baseline, which, I mean, it is what it is. Defenses will live with that. Uh, Harris was a minus 14 in each of the two games, so minus 28 total. Um, Unless he can hop on to Rajon Rondo and shut him down, shut his facilitation down, I'm not sure what purpose he serves out there unless he's hitting outside shots. That's too bad because he has been extremely important. Let me reiterate that. He's been very good. Unfortunately, he may not be the guy to close games, and I thought it was pretty evident that Michael Malone went to P.J. Dozier instead of uh, Gary Harris, or Monte Morris for that matter. Uh, We'll talk about Dozier in the next segment, but I, I think this is probably spelling some things to come for Harris unless he can get hot from three. If he can get hot from three, that's a big deal. Uh, I think that he could potentially change the series because that's a margin that Denver just needs in order to win some of these games. But if not, they may go to Craig at the two. They may go to Porter at the two. Maybe go to Dozier at the two. Uh, But we're going to see how they play it. I'm really interested to see what Michael Malone does. When we come back, we're going to talk about what went right for Denver in the in games one and two in this series and some of the stuff that they can build on we'll be right back with threats to our nation waiting around every corner adaptability is more important than ever when conditions change without notice quick strategic thinking is crucial and with obstacles consistently impending determination is essential in overcoming them it's this willingness decisiveness and resilience that sets marines apart with our fighting spirit we don't just fight battles we win them Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And we're back. Nuggets numbers, Ryan Blackburn here. Wanted to discuss what went right in games one and two, and there was a lot of it actually. Despite the fact that the Nuggets are down 2-0, there's, there are things that they can build on. Things that they can help get this game, or help get this series a little bit closer than it is right now. Because literally, they were they were a, a shot away from being 1-1, tied 1-1 in the series. Despite the fact that all of the narrative is that they should be swept now. So... Last game was probably a game that they needed to have, but they can still win some games going forward. Let's talk about why. Um, starting with Nikola Jokic again, 
because he is 4 of 7 from the field and 1 of 3 from 3 against Anthony Davis through two games. He can score on Davis in the post. He kind of proved that in clutch time of this last game. Davis is going to get him on occasion, but there is something to be said for Jokic wanting to go at that matchup, going directly at that matchup, and having some success. One of the threes that he missed against Davis, it was a wide open one. Actually, uh, it wasn't wide open. It, w- it was like it was a wing three on the left side out of a pick and pop. Uh, it was it was almost down and out. That's really where it was. Um, I think that he can take advantage of that matchup in the same way that he took away Rudy Gobert. Um, there are going to be some things in this series where Jamal Murray might have an opportunity to go off in some of the similar ways that Utah did, that he did against Utah. Um, and that was with Jokic being involved for most of it, but there are some situations where Jokic may stand on the perimeter and he may hit threes while Davis is on him and guarding him and not being involved in the primary action. I think that that is a, that's something to be said there about taking Davis away from that action and forcing guys like maybe not LeBron, but but Caruso and Danny Green and, and Kyle Kuzma and worse defenders than Anthony Davis, which is, it's, it's not hard to be worse than Anthony Davis. Davis is really good. But doing that, taking advantage of Jokic's jumper, and that if Davis comes off of him, then Jokic can hit that three, that to me seems like a way that Denver can consistently score points and generate good opportunities while also getting Jamal Murray going. Um, that's a schematic change that I was probably going to save for segment three, but I kind of wanted to talk about it there because Jokic without his three ball is not going to be as effective against these Lakers. Him seeing one go through the net with one minute to go in the fourth quarter, I think that bodes well. I think they're going to try to get him some more threes going forward. Another thing he has to do is just be better against switches. Uh, He was a little bit better against switches in Game 2 than in Game 1, but he still needs to take better care of the ball against a guard, like I talked about in Segment 1. Abuse Alex Caruso. Abuse Cantavius Caldwell-Pope. Come on now. Like, this this should be easy. And then when they double, hit the open pass, generate a 3, generate a dunk. That's what you got to do. Let's talk about Jamal Murray. Uh, he's doing a great job as a shooter on the strong side when Jokic is doubled in the post. There were a couple of clips like that uh, where he was in position, especially off of a switch, where one in particular stands out in the third quarter of last game, where he was on the strong side. It might have been the fourth quarter. He was on the strong side on a Jokic post-up with Davis on Murray, and Davis got a little bit too antsy and doubled from the strong side that's an easy kick out for, to Jamal Murray from Jokic. Murray hit it really easily. Um, I would love to see the Nuggets continue to do that. On on another hand, that's, that's one of the reasons the Clippers decided to double from the weak side in Game 7. Um, and that's something that the Lakers may try to do. They may feel that they could do it better than the, than the Clippers could. And they might be right. But that defense, doubling from the weak side as opposed to the strong side where Jokic could see it coming, uh, it got shredded by passes from Jokic on a consistent basis, and I don't think the Lakers want to make Jokic into a passer. I think they'd rather make Jokic into a scorer, which is why they're switching in the first place. So we'll see what they do there. 
Um, Murray's also doing a solid job of driving to the rim against Biggs, including against Anthony Davis. He's 5 of 7 against Davis through two games. That bodes well. He doesn't fear him. He has a healthy respect for him, of course, but he doesn't fear him. Murray's averaging 12 drives per game in the in the conference finals through those two games, and he's scoring points on 79% of those drives. From baskets to free throws to assists for other people, he's finishing at a high clip, and I think that matters in this series because so much of what the Lakers want to do is they want to protect the interior of the paint. If, if Murray is capable of attacking Davis, if he's capable of attacking McGee, Dwight Howard, guys of that nature. Hell, if it's a small player too, and if he's capable of going up strong and consistently doing that, then this could really be a big Jamal Murray series. He's He hasn't hit enough threes yet. That could still come. That could definitely still come. It would not surprise me, based off of the looks that Murray got in Game 2, if he went off in Game 3. He's capable of doing that. We've already seen it. He's averaging like 29 points per game in the playoffs. On 48% from three. Pretty good. Uh, We'll see if you can keep it going. Also, Danny Green is 0 of 9 against Jamal Murray thus far. Which is probably due for a regression, but it's still a good sign. Let's talk about Michael Porter Jr. He has been hitting contested shots from everywhere on the floor. I shared this this stat on Twitter. Uh, He's shooting 37% on highly contested threes in the playoffs. Among all players to take at least 20 of those shots, uh, that ranks fourth in terms of efficiency. Uh, 37% on contested threes is really good. Really, really good. And we saw the value of that against the Lakers in this Game 2 series, or in this Game 2. Him being able to turn and, and hit that contested fadeaway three against LeBron, that was, I mean, that's just a shot that you can't teach. Um if he can continue to hit those, then like my, my Lord, like that, that's a star move for sure. Um, he also pulls up against guys like Markeith Morris, Kyle Kuzma, guys that he knows can't contest, can't really block his three. Um, he also got the ball in the post against Rajon Rondo and rose up from 15 feet over him and can that pretty easily. He's hitting contested shots everywhere. And that level of shot making is really valuable in the playoffs, and he probably needs to play more. Um, that's always been a sticking point, and, and he had five fouls in this previous game, so he cannot get into foul trouble. The, the coaches will definitely be explaining that to him going forward. Um, but I think that he plays more than 20 minutes in this next game unless he's awful, unless he's like missing a whole bunch of shots and, and missing reads. I think he's going to try to get Malone's going to try to get him upwards of 25. That would not surprise me in the slightest. Um, his rebounding needs to be at a really high level against this Lakers team. Uh, when he's out there with Plumlee as the power forward, he needs to rebound everything. Plumlee struggles as a rebounder. A lot of guys struggle as a rebounder on the Nuggets, especially when guys like Monte Morris are on the floor and Gary Harris is on the floor, Jeremy Grant is on the floor. Porter has to be that guy who gets everything at the rim, gets everything. And I think he can. He has the talent to do that. If he's not making shots, then at least he can grab every rebound on both the offensive and defensive end. That's something I think he can consistently do. 
I've been really impressed with Torrey Craig thus far. Uh, he's done a great job of cutting off ball, making himself available through two games. Uh, I think he can, can continue to do that against guys like Caruso, Rondo, Green. Uh, he deserves more playing time in Game 3. And it may be at the 2, it may be at the 3, uh, when they go small, when Porter's at the 4 and Plumley's at the 5. That would not surprise me in the slightest. Um, I actually like that lineup a lot with the bench. It's the Murray, Dozier... Notice what I did there. Uh, Craig Porter Plumley lineup. And it might look bad from a shooting perspective, but if you can give the ball to Porter and you can give the ball to Murray and feel comfortable that they can make shots, that might be a good option for the Nuggets to get out in transition, to defend really well, run hard, and convert some easy looks at the rim uh, in transition for layups. Torrey Craig's great at that. He might be he like he's actually a really good finisher in those situations. Um, I think he deserves to play more. I think he'll guard LeBron. Um, Grant may guard AD a little bit more. Uh, though Grant, let's talk about him now. Uh, Jeremy Grant. There's only so much you can do against guys like LeBron and and Anthony Davis and all of those options. But I think Grant has done an exceptional job. Uh, very done very very well. LeBron James is only two of seven against Grant so far in this series with four assists and five turnovers. That may not hold perfectly well. And the the Lakers do a really good job of generating switches so that Grant isn't the guy that LeBron is having to deal with. But if he's out there and he's doing a good job in making LeBron work, that really helps on both ends of the floor. Um, The Nuggets just can't let him beat him. They can't let Anthony Davis beat them with 40 points, uh, either of those guys. They were so close this past game, and I thought they did a really good job against both of those stars for most of the time. Um, Jeremy Grant is a big part of that. Against Anthony Davis, uh, Davis is shooting 2 of 5 while being guarded by Grant. Only one assist, so kind of neutral. Not like not something that you should crow about or anything, but definitely not something that should be ignored when Davis has been getting so many shots off and doing really well. Um, I think you got to pay Grant whatever you need to bring him back at this point. Rebounds be damned. I, I don't care about rebounding. Porter's really good at rebounding. Jokic is really good at rebounding. Murray's a good rebounding guard. What are we talking about here? Let's just pay the guy who has done really, really well for you uh, from a from a defensive perspective overall. And lastly, Mason Plumley has been largely good in games one and two outside of, well, I mean, you know. Um, we haven't seen any Plumley-Jokic yet. I don't know if we will, which is probably fine. It's not a big deal. But the time to do it would be in the Anthony Davis-Dwight Howard minutes so that Plumley is either guarding AD or he's banging with Dwight. Uh that means that Jokic doesn't have to do one or the other. Uh, the Nuggets can pick what they want, what they would prefer. I think they'd probably f- prefer him banging against Dwight, having Plumley defend Anthony Davis. Uh, and then Plumley can really just hound on the offensive glass on the other end and maybe make some good passes because his passing has been really good in these first two games. Um, that's probably his best skill, in all honesty. And, and it's, it's worth it. If you can generate open shots both on cuts, on rebounds, on whatever you need to do. I think it's worth it for sure. Let's take another quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about more schematic changes that I want to see 
We will be right back. And we're back. Nuggets Numbers. Ryan Blackburn here. Final segment of Nuggets Numbers. Actually, make sure to check out denverstiffs.com. Uh, make sure to check out some of the shirts that was released for Breaking Tea uh, over the course of the last couple of days. Uh, Breaking Tea's done a really good job. They, they have some cool designs. Uh, there is a Mountain Goat version of Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic, which is pretty cool. There's a Beat LA shirt, which is pretty cool. There's a Murray Jokic 2020 Built Not Bought shirt that's on there. There's a lot of cool designs on there that I, I really like that I think you guys should like too. Um, make sure to get them at denverstiffs.com. We have a post that's pinned uh, in on the front page. Or you could visit breakingtea.com and make sure to just look up Denver Stiffs and you will see all of the, or Denver Nuggets actually, and you will see all of the shirts that are there. Let's talk about some schematic changes that I'd like to see with the Nuggets starting in Game 3. Let's start with Jokic again because it's how we start with all of these. So he has to just let it fly from deep. Uh, when the Lakers are out there with their two big lineups, the one thing that they really struggle with, uh, unless they're switching, is shots that, like, is, is the three-point shot. If you can shoot well against the Lakers from three, uh, whether they're moderately contested looks or if they're dragging the bigs away from the rim, that's the way to open up shots in the middle of the floor, shots, in the, shots at the rim. Uh, Jokic was 0 for 0 in game one, didn't attempt a three, uh, and he was one of four in game two. The one make came with one minute left in the game. I think he probably needs to get up six threes in game three uh, to really space the Lakers out, to really force Davis to come out and guard him when he's guarding him, to really force Dwight Howard away from where he's comfortable. I think there are definitely ways the Nuggets can make this work. Uh, and then... When he's going interior, he has to go at Anthony Davis in the post and force help because the Lakers' defensive scheme, when they have one big on the floor, they can come over and they can double and do things like that, but it's less effective and it, it will break their scheme if their best defender consistently needs help in the post uh, because the guys that are on the weak side are really, really smart defenders, but they're not big defenders other than LeBron. They're not big defenders. You've got Caruso. You've got Danny Green. You've got Cantavius Caldwell-Pope. You've got Kyle Kuzma, who plays smaller than his size. Uh, you have Rajon Rondo. Those guys, while they are smart, good defenders, most of them, if you can get them moving and you can find the cuts and you can find the lanes and find the opposite cross-court passes, then you can make it work. Just have to hit the shots then when they do. When the shots are open, you got to hit them, or else Jokic like, probably just has to take 20 to 25 shots and hope for the best. Jamal Murray, I think he has to target JaVale McGee on every single possession to start the game. Um, he is their weak link defensively for sure. And if the Nuggets go at him consistently, whether it's on switches, whether it's in just normal pick and roll with Jokic, I think that there are opportunities for Denver to get Murray going in those cases because going at going at JaVale McGee, especially when driving to the rim, 
is a lot less physically imposing than going at Dwight Howard or Anthony Davis, for sure. Um, the Jokic-Murray two-man game, it probably has to be to isolate Murray for jumpers in the event of those switches. It's not for the Jokic post-ups when there are two bigs on the floor. That changes when there's one big on, a flo- on the floor and it, it causes a lot of chaos for the defense, but I would be interested in seeing that for sure. I would also be interested in seeing Murray take Danny Green to the post because he's shown that he has a good post game and Danny Green was the guy that he showed he had a good post game against. So it might just be a situation where Danny Green can't guard that. And if they have to send help to guard Jamal Murray in the post, that's a big deal. That's a big win for Denver, for sure. Um, Paul Millsap probably needs to only play in the two big lineup configurations. When he's, against, when he's against this particular team, he's done a good job against Anthony Davis. I've said this before, and I will say it again. He deserves to be in the rotation and probably starting because the Lakers like to start two bigs. He's done a good job against Anthony Davis. Unfortunately, um, well, actually, no, let's, let's talk more about that even. Like, he can also switch the LeBron James-Anthony Davis pick and roll, which I think is important because when Grant is out there, when AD is out there, when when LeBron is out there with, with Grant guarding him, that's an easy matchup for the, for the Nuggets to switch because Millsap is probably Denver's second or third best, probably third best LeBron defender at this point. And I trust Millsap in that situation. It's not going to happen every single time and you probably don't try to switch it if you can help it but Grant has done a good job against Anthony Davis um, Millsap does a good job against Anthony Davis and I think can do a competent job of switching uh, but the problem is when the Lakers go to their one big lineup because it puts Kyle Kuzma on the floor or an- another guard or somebody like that and the Nuggets really need to start cooking offensively in those situations and I don't think Millsap is the guy to put on the floor if you want to cook I think it's Michael Porter Jr. I think that's that's pretty evident, uh, just based off of how things continue to go with with the rotations at this point. The Nuggets have learned a lot about themselves in the playoffs, and I think that's the main thing that they've learned is that the lineups with Porter, Grant, Jokic, and Murray are really good, and getting to those lineups in different situations is really important. So it may not be. Um, it may not be something that they have to do in close games, but if the Lakers are going to go to Davis at the five at the end of games, there's nobody for Jokic to guard. And it's not as simple as just putting Millsap on Davis all the time because then that puts Jokic on Rajon Rondo or Caruso. And I don't want that matchup. I mean, the Nuggets can try to go to that, but I really do think that Denver's at their best when they don't try to hide Jokic, where they just... Put him into a situation where, yes, you're going to have to guard some stuff, but you just have to do it. You have to deal with it. He has to be better guarding Anthony Davis individually. Davis has to settle for more interior jump for more jumpers. And those numbers are going to eventually normalize, I think. I really do think that. Um, if that's how Denver gets beat because Jokic has to spend too much time on Anthony Davis, then okay. Oh, well. Uh, it's gonna, that was probably going to happen anyway. Um, but when the Lakers go with their one big lineup, I really do think that Porter has to be out there. 
whether he's guarding Caruso or Danny Green or Kyle Kuzma or Markeith Morris or somebody like that, like I really do think that that is Denver's best path to winning this series. It's not likely that they can win this series, but it is possible. It's definitely possible. Because the Lakers, most they, they most commonly play big with two bigs on the floor from the six-minute mark. Actually, okay, no, let me, let me rephrase that. The Lakers most commonly play one big man from the six-minute mark of the first quarter to the eight-minute mark of the second quarter, and then again in the last four minutes of the half in the game. Um, I do think that, that is, those are the moments where Porter can be on the floor. I don't think he can bang with LeBron James and Anthony Davis and Dwight Howard on a consistent basis, but there, if there's someone else to guard, then I think he can do it. I really do. And that it gives Denver an advantage offensively because one of those guys has to guard him on the other end. So we're going to have to see how that goes. I'm, I'm really interested to see the the lineup looks that Denver gives in Game 3 because I do think that 25 minutes a game for MPJ is important. And it probably starts with any time Kyle Kuzma's on the floor. Porter can abuse that matchup on a consistent basis. MPJ is simply a better version of Kuzma on both ends. I trust Porter in those situations, and I think people fail to understand that Malone does too. He has a lot more trusted Michael Porter Jr. than people seem to give him credit for. Um, He has not played him less than 15 minutes a night in any game other than, I think it was this last, like, other than game one. Let's just check that to make sure. Um... Oh, no, it was Game 7. It was Game 7 against the Clippers, and uh, Porter was 0 of 2 in that game. He had 7 rebounds, but he was only a plus 1 in what was a 15-point win. So uh, give Malone the benefit of the doubt for that. He pulled the right strings. Um, but, yeah, I trust Porter in those situations because he's a mismatch of, of against Kuzma, against Rondo, against Caruso, against Green, against all of those guys. If he can hit the shots that he's shown that he can hit, then he's probably in a really good situation to win the Nuggets games and maybe the series. And then last thing, last thing before we go, uh, P.J. Dozier. It was really tough to see Dozier missing free throws in that seri- in that game uh, because what he, what he did uh, on the defensive end of that floor was awesome. Like just his size and the the defensive intelligence, they're absolutely going to win the Nuggets a game in this series if he gets another opportunity. It almost won them the game on Sunday night. I think that it's probably not going to happen a ton, but I do think that maybe this is a series where P.J. Dozier, more important than Monte Morris. That could be blasphemy. Maybe Monte Morris comes out and hits a bunch of shots and continues to do some good things. Um, But I just don't think that giving Rajon Rondo passing lanes because the defender is too small is a good idea. P.J. Dozier's big enough and lengthy enough and athletic enough that he can guard Rondo on a consistent basis. Rondo hit a pull-up three against him late in the fourth quarter. And it was it was a backbreaker because Rondo never hits pull up threes like that. Like if if you get beat by that, it's tough. 
because there's just nothing you can really do. That is a good thing to give up in a late shot clock situation. Um, but if I were the Nuggets, I would want to play Dozier in his size against with Jamal Murray and maybe even just replacing Monte Morris in that lineup with the bench because there are definitely some things that Denver can do in those minutes. Uh, and if they limit the defense, or if they if they limit the opportunities offensively that the Lakers can give, then that's a margin that Denver can win. I don't think that, Do- that Morris does that. I do think that Dozier can make some plays. He showed it in game game two. If he continues to get opportunities in game three and beyond, then I'll, I'll be pretty impressed. Especially if Gary Harris isn't making shots. Because if, if Gary Harris is making shots, then he can do some of those things too. But if Gary Harris is missing shots, P.J. Dozier is probably the guy you want to see. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of Nuggets Numbers. Thank you for tuning in. Really appreciate everybody for sticking around. And and even when the Nuggets are down 2-0, it's really important to keep a high head. This is the Western Conference Finals. They've they've surpassed expectations. We already know that. They're going to play this Lakers team tight. They're going to continue to give them a great effort. They can break through with one win, maybe two wins. The series gets back to even. They're in a really good spot after that. As long as they can get to a situation where they go down 3-1, then they're always in it, as we know. That's going to do it for this episode. We'll talk to you guys very soon.